This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 178. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman. And Riley's the man who chooses fruit pies over pumpkin every time. And I am Jacob Paulson. That's right. <laughs> and Jacob is the guy who bought a new pair of shoes that are identical to his last pair of shoes. If it ain't broken, don't fix it. Hey, you know what? If you like those shoes, I'd suggest you go buy about five pairs right now. Yeah, Nike is definitely going to discontinue these before the next time I have to buy it. So. I know. I've, that's happened to me so many times where you find a pair of shoes, you're just like, I love these shoes. I'll go buy another pair. And you go, and they're like, no, we haven't sold those for a year. <laughs> it's like, dang yeah. it. <laughs> Not cool. Yeah. Anyway, we hope that everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving last week. Uh, I know we did. Uh, Jacob, I, I assume you did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I had an interesting one, though, because I spent four days, including part of the day on Thanksgiving Day, uh, you know, which was not planned necessarily. It was supposed to be a one-day, maybe a two-day project, and I ended up spending four days re-roofing, like rebuilding the structure, structural part, and then roofing a part of my uh, in-law's property, uh, a little structure. So that was interesting. Sounds crappy. <laughs> I'm sure you had good company, but I mean, for interesting. It just to me, it just sounds horrible. Well, it was good, you know. Help out the family. My my, sure. my little bro, he came out and uh, on the last day helped us finish it up. So you know, it's a good way of spending some time with him, and we had a good time. Other than Apparently, you know, there was times you have the skills. There was times it was cold, and times it was windy, and times it was raining. No snow. That was fortunate. Anyway. Hey folks, today's episode, we've got uh, an interesting and a timely topic, I think, where we're going to be talking about the slippery slope argument, which I I think is really relevant because we're seeing a lot of things go on right now in our industry and in our country that uh, when we talk about slippery slope, well, we're going to dive into that today and and explain our our viewpoint and stance on this. Uh, Jacob's got some really good thoughts on, on the concept as you just wrote quite a an extensive article uh, recently, which I enjoyed very much. So good job writing that. Oh, wow. <laughs> Praise from Riley. I'll take yeah. that. But first, today's episode is brought to you by Guardian Nation. And just wanted to remind listeners that you have until, well, right as of right now, we're recording this on November 29th. So tomorrow, the 30th, by midnight, if you are not already a Guardian Nation member, uh, if you're planning on being a monthly paying member, that is, uh, that's your last opportunity to join and qualify for our next quarterly gear box. Otherwise, you'd you'd have to join uh, at the quarterly or annual level to still qualify for that box, which ships in February. The last box we sent out, we got some good feedback from folks on that really liked the awesome gear we included in it especially that uh mag magazine uh holder thing what do you call mm-hmm. that yeah it's a mag, mag solutions pistol mag holder yeah yeah mag solutions is the company a pistol mag holder that's a great product I, I need to order like three more yeah yeah if you got enough guns and enough mags 
you're going to want to have enough to store them all. That's right. As of right now, I still, I mean, I've got some now stored in my new Mag Solutions Mag holder thing, but uh, I still have a bunch in a box. <laughs> so I probably <laughs> should order some more myself. Anyway, <clears throat> so yeah, that's just one example of a really awesome item that we included in our last gearbox. Uh, so you know, you're going to want to join and be part of the next box. You don't want to miss out. We've got some really exciting things, by the way. Jacob just got off the phone this morning with an industry partner about something that will likely go in our next box. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Can't can't say exactly what it is yet, but uh, it should be fun. Guardian Nation comes uh, along with a whole host of other benefits as well. So s- stop putting it off. Just go join today guardiannation.com and you could even you know as that special someone's gift for Christmas or whatever this year you could totally join for a a special someone yeah yeah so that's a great idea that was a bit of a reach Riley but it felt natural okay good good Anyway, today's episode is also brought to you by the Glock E-Trainer and as well the the CERT Training Pistol. And while I'm on that subject, I I do want to mention that tomorrow evening, so on the 30th, November 30th at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, we have our, this this month, and I know it's kind of at the end of the month, (laughs) uh, it is the Guardian Nation Live event. And typically we have an industry professional that Jacob and I interview and and have uh, join with us in that this time we're doing something a little different and I think kind of fun and exciting and we're going to do a full hour hour and a half of dry fire not just dry fire but we're going to talk about it but we're, we're going to present to you all of the available dry fire tools and a lot of different techniques and, and ways to set things up for dry fire practice but I mean we're going to have cert pistols we're going to have airsoft pistols we're going to have other laser training tools we're going to have uh, the laser or LASR app software we're going to have uh, tons of tons of stuff. tons of stuff. That, Mantis X, clocking right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, snap caps or dummy rounds, all of that. Anything that's related to or that we can think of that's dry fire related. If you've not seen some of these products before, or if you're not really sure how to use them, basically our goal is to educate you fully on dry fire and tools available and techniques or tips or tricks or whatever as to how to implement dry fire, so you can come away from that session uh, really well prepared. And we'll be doing that live from a dry fire range we're setting up. Uh, It'll be live broadcast. So you can just, if you're logged in, you can ask questions. We'll take questions as we go and answer those questions. And if for whatever reason you can't attend tomorrow, we will record it. And it will be in the archive available to Guardian Nation members. So anytime you're listening to this, even if it's a year later, if you join Guardian Nation or you are already a member, you can find the recording in the archive. Yeah. Awesome. So we hope you'll join with us, those of you that are Guardian Nation members already, or if you choose now to at this time, it would be a great time for the Gearbox, for this next session of the Guardian Nation Live, whatever. If you if you join or are a member by tomorrow evening, 7 p.m. Mountain, we hope to see you there. Please join us. Uh, Guardian Nation members, in case you're, if you're not aware, it, when you log into your uh, user dashboard, uh, there what is it? that button called guardian live i think it says i think guardian live or gn yeah. live something if you like click on that button you'll be able to find uh there'll be a link right jacob to for them to join yep yep so if you it says guardian live is what it is i just confirmed and yeah there it has the time 
has the the date has the link and then below it has all the recordings of past ones awesome there you go well, speaking of questions, you, you talked about answer, ask, answering questions just a moment ago, uh, which we will be doing during that uh, GN Live session. Uh, but we also have a few questions to answer from listeners of the podcast here today. And I'm going to tease one of them, by the way, because I'm going to save this towards later in the episode uh, because it's going to be partly answered, or at least I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use that opportunity to talk about my pick of the week. So this is a question from Jacob. Uh, who asked about secondary lines of defense, and he he brought up or brought up uh, using or carrying uh, knives, uh, and he even asked about carrying a knife on his weak side, thinking about well, if my gun's my strong side, you know maybe I should be carrying them on my weak side, you know a knife or whatever. Uh, so if you're listening, Jacob, I, I've got I've got a really interesting. Uh, response to you on this as well as a product that I'm super excited about that I think goes right hand in hand with what you're asking about. The, the Let's get to this other question though. We'll, we'll answer this right now, Jacob. Uh, so Austin uh, wrote in and Austin said, and I, I, I believe Austin is in Louisiana because he's asking about church carry, concealed carry in churches in Louisiana. And we talked a few episodes ago, right? About, um, I think we mentioned that Louisiana is a state in which you are not allowed to carry concealed into a place of worship, no matter what. I don't know if we said no. I mean, maybe we said no matter what. I don't honestly don't remember half the time what I said five minutes ago. So, <laughs> but uh, uh, Austin says he's lived in Louisiana his whole life and turned 21 in late J- June. Uh, he applied for, received his concealed carry permit in mid July. Way to go, Austin! By the way, like that, you were right on top of it. Uh, and then he said, before doing this, I spent countless hours researching laws to make sure I knew exactly what I could and could not do while concealed carrying to the point when I heard you say someone couldn't carry concealed in a church in Louisiana, something went off in my head and told me that wasn't hundred percent true. See below images for state law quotes. And so he's posted here from the statutes, uh, dealing with prohibited locations. And this is, uh, under Louisiana state revised statutes, 40, uh, dash, uh, 1379.3. And it says there any church synagogue mosque or similar place of worship is, is considered a a prohibited place. But then it also says, see another section. And when you go to that other section, it says this, the entity which owns the business or has authority over the administration of a church synagogue or mosque shall have the authority to authorize any person issued a valid concealed handgun permit as authorized by the provisions of the section to carry a concealed handgun in the church, synagogue, or mosque. And uh, it, it, it also uh, does not limit churches or prohibit them from having armed security guards who are certif- either certified law enforcement officers or who are authorized to carry concealed handguns pursuant to the provisions of the section. And if the church, synagogue, or mosque authorizes the carrying of concealed handguns as authorized by the provisions of this subsection, and this I think is really key, and I'll let you uh, expound on this, Jacob, the pastor, priest, minister, or other authority of the church, synagogue, or mosque shall inform the congregation of the authorization. Yeah, I mean, so first and foremost, thanks for calling us out because we were wrong. 
right? I, I think we did say that Louisiana was the only state where there's just no legal way to carry a gun into churches, and that was not true. Um, when we kind of originally built out our you know, map per se uh, that kind of talks about that covers which states do and don't allow guns in churches, we didn't read deep enough into Louisiana law. I mean, if you just kind of read to the point where it says no churches, you might say, oh, okay, got it. And, and that's probably what we did when we did our initial research. We didn't read far enough to see that there is an exception. So thanks for calling us out and letting us know that. Um, what that essentially means is there is no state in the U.S. where there is no conceivable way you could legally carry in a church. All states have some method by which it could be legally done. Uh, so thank you for that. So Louisiana, though, I do think is the most interesting and complex. And, and I say that because there's so many more provisions. One, yeah, you, you have to have the permission of, of a church leader. That That's not totally uncommon. There's other states that are like that too. Wyoming, North Dakota, Nebraska, Missouri, Arkansas, Georgia, South Carolina, D.C., Ohio, and Michigan, Nebraska. for example. Uh, I said oh, Nebraska. sorry. You went so fast. <laughs> I My brain that. can so, keep up with your mouth. <laughs> so the short of it is that that's not out there too, too far. But what is unique is that uh, – a, the, the pastor or leader or whoever in, in that place of worship has to inform the congregation that it's being done. And and I'm, I'm trying to remember the details, and you maybe have the statute in front of you, but there's something in there also about the person having to have a certain amount of training uh, in order to, to be able – I mean, I think above and beyond just the permit itself, I think there's some additional training that's required. Uh, so mm-hmm. it, it, it's kind of complex and maybe I, I read it wrong, but the short of it is thanks for calling us out. And probably the ba- greatest you know, kind of lesson for listeners is, Hey, you know, if you listen to this podcast, you probably get some broad stroke legal things that most of the time are probably pretty accurate, but on occasion we might be wrong and doing a little bit of local research and, and, you know, getting some legal you know, feedback and input from, from people who are on the ground is always a good idea. Well, it's challenging. You know, we, we, we produce, a uh, podcast that, you know, we have listeners in every one of the 50 states of the United States, and we have listeners across, you know, the, the oceans. <laughs> we got, we had a guy just right in the other day that's in Japan. And by the way, if you're listening, uh, we will probably talk about your question in an upcoming episode. I don't remember what his name was exactly. Say something in Japanese, Riley. Uh, konnichiwa. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> that's, that's lame, that right? Weak. Uh, Nihongo ga dekimasu Okay, that sounded like you actually know some Can you Japanese. Speak Japanese? Can I speak Japanese? <laughs> <laughs> it's been a long time. Uh, anyway, so you know we've got listeners all over the world, and especially all over the United States, and we're trying to talk about you know subjects all the time. That you know it's so challenging to number one know all fifty state statutes. There's generally a lot of similarities between states, and we we have a pretty good idea of how things work from state to state to state. But there's it's it's like with this Louisiana thing, you know, like you you think you read and study the statutes, and like you said, if you're reading if you're just reading the statutes, you you see prohibited locations, and you just see okay, that's out, you know, that's off limits. You can't carry in a church. You just that's the first thing you see, and it's like, well, of course these. Dumb lawyers. Okay, I don't mean to call lawyers dumb. <laughs> I know we have some legislatures. I just tease people who write. You know, them, they, yeah. you know, they write this, and then it's like, oh, you got to go to this completely other section that then says, oh, there actually is a way you can carry in a church, and here, you know, and here's all these exceptions for that. And by the way, I think it's Nebraska that's also pretty much. It's very similar to Louisiana in this, where you can't. It, it generally says that 
churches are off limits with an exception. And the exception is that you have permission of that pastor or church leader. Uh, and I think in Nebraska, they also have to inform, they're supposed to inform the congregation as well. Yeah, I don't remember that for sure about uh, about Nebraska. That, that seems like that came up recently when you and I were. But there's. But anyway, the, the problem is that we're we're always trying to lump things into into simple categories, and we do that because we have to to make things make sense. But there's always nuances, yeah. right? Uh, you know that that's true of like reciprocity, even like, or it's true of what states on you know allow suppressors, or which states allow campus carry, or you know, I mean, we if we if we made the map where it was really specific. There'd be like 12 colors <laughs> and be a bunch of states have their own color. So that, that's not very helpful to our users or our listeners or our readers. So we often try and lump things into two or three categories. And that means that there's going to be something in there that has a nuance. Uh, for example, you know, Delaware is a, you know, shall issue state, but only after you've put an ad in a newspaper, <laughs> you know, that has a certain amount of circulation in your local zip code. So, so it's just a lot of like these weird little nuances that you can't always touch on because either we don't know about them uh, or because it's just the nature of trying to, you know, put things into big buckets. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. Uh, now to get back to what the kind of the core of this was, and I, I do, I do want to leave listeners with some food for thought uh, about this whole church thing. And I think what I take from this is that concealed carry in churches in some states or jurisdictions can be a little bit tricky. Uh, and you might just, you know, want to speak with, uh, if you if you feel like your pastor or, or uh, leader of your local congregation is open to the idea uh, of concealed carry in their church, if you are in a jurisdiction where they got to do something like inform the congregation to technically comply with statute, or anything like that, where it goes kind of above and beyond the the norm, as we typically see with churches, um, you you might just want to make sure that you're you're fully aware of what the law says and what and that the pastor is aware, and that you comply with those things um, as best you can. Because I, I just hate to see someone get in trouble because they miss some you know half a sentence in a statute somewhere that says I got to do something. By the way, in the Louisiana statute, I don't see anything about training above and beyond. Um, I might've been thinking of something else. It just, it just says right there in that uh, one section I, I already read that if the, if you have the permission of the pastor uh, or from the, yeah, from the administration of a church synagogue or mosque, uh, it says they can authorize any person that has a valid concealed handgun permit. Um, and then there's that second part that where they, they're supposed to inform the congregation. Gotcha. So some other, some other thoughts and we maybe could talk more about churches in another episode sometime, but, um, I, I think it's really important to try and be part of an organized effort, uh, in, in a church. Uh, so if, if, if you want to just be the independent dude who just decides I'm carrying my gun to church, like that's fine. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. I'm saying it would be even more effective if there, if there is an organized effort in that church, if there is a team of people organized under the direction of a, a leader in that church that are all working together to better you know, deal with any threats that might present themselves yeah. versus a bunch of independent people who are all carrying a gun but have never talked to each other about it. So, you know, if, if ask, you know, it doesn't hurt to say, is, is there a security team? Yep. Can I join it? Can I create it? Uh, and then make sure that that team trains together and works together. Totally. A comprehensive plan is is ideal in situations like this. Well, um, there is, like I said, that second question from Jacob I'll get to 
here uh, when I talk about my pick of the week. So let's jump into today's main topic, which is the slippery slope argument. Where do you want to kick off with this? So here's the deal. Um, we, we got a comment on our site oh, earlier this week or last week, and I'm going to pull it up and read it to you. But essentially, this is what happens. You know, we sometimes falsely, unfairly, I'll even say, we sometimes assume that anyone who is pro any gun legislation at all that we might cons- put in the in the you know gun control category that they must be really bad you know bad gun grabbers you know that they're they're these horrible you know group of gun control freaks who want to take away all our guns and i don't think that's very fair so first and foremost i would say you know we have to recognize we have to be willing to accept that there are people out there who are pro some things that we might call gun control, but they're also pro Second Amendment. Some of them are our listeners. In fact, we talked about uh, a week or two ago, the guy who wrote in to our podcast and he said he's a liberal and he's a gun owner and he's pro common sense gun laws or something. And so I think that there's a lot more people out there than we think that are are pro gun control in some form or whatever they want to call it. Um, but they they are also pro Second Amendment, and so it, that led me to say, okay, like I see these polls, and I see a poll that says something to the effect of, "Hey, you know, you know, are are do you support uh, you know a background checks for all gun purchases?" And you know, the, the poll will say something like 70 percent of Americans support this. And in my mind, I think, okay, and a lot of those are probably good gun owners who consider themselves pro Second Amendment. Why would they support this? Well, obviously, there's something they must not understand about it. So I, I first thought, okay, I need to explain to people what what is wrong with this. But at the core of all the different arguments, whether we're talking about magazine capacity limitations or background checks or assault rifle bans or whatever other you know things that are, that are being proposed, at the core of it all is always this underlying slippery slope argument that we inherently believe that any of these things eventually will lead to outright confiscation. And I think that helping our listeners know why we think that is the case is really important because if if you are among that group of people and and if you're listening by the way and you're like Jacob I'm already on board with you like you're preaching to the choir you have people in your influence friends family members who you need to talk to about this because there's plenty of gun owners out there who they basically want to they, they want to, every time they hear me talk they want to smash their head into a wall and say listen Jacob I'm not trying to take away your guns like get off your paranoid horse get down and just help me stop bad guys from doing bad things. Like calm down. No one's trying to take away your guns, Jacob. Jeez. And and that's how some of these people feel. Uh, here's, here's the quote I was going to give you. So this is, this is uh, someone commenting on one of our articles and they say, uh, the problem with assault weapons is that it allows someone to kill masses of people without having to take the time of reloading. That time could be used by a defender to strike at the assailant and as a result end an assault. Mandatory background checks in any type of purchase. These are common sense changes to current gun laws that could help make our society safer. Don't tell me, oh, that is just a first step to taking our guns. That was an excuse used for eight years that President Obama was in power and it was completely a lie. No one is trying to take your guns. We just want to do whatever we can to keep guns out of the hands of people that should not have them. So this is a this is a gun owner who ha, has liked our site, has bought products from us. I checked; they've purchased gun products from our company, and they are basically saying, "Like, calm down, people. We're not trying to take your guns. These are good go- common sense gun laws." 
So to that, I wrote this this latest article trying to explain the slippery slope. So that that hopefully sets the stage. Yeah. So we know there's people that are in that boat where they, like like you just shared, you got a legit gun owner and a Second Amendment believer, let's just say. And I know some guys out there would argue that that point. They would, well, if they're not all in 100%, you know, if they believe in any sort of gun control at all, then, you know, they really don't believe in the Second Amendment, which I understand you feeling that way. I, I would tend to feel probably similarly as far as that, you know, shall not be infringed <laughs> means shall not be infringed, right? Uh, however, there are people out there, uh, and we just featured in the episode I did together with, uh, Matthew Marister, uh, talking about the liberal gun club, uh, which I think is just a fascinating thing. I mean, it's just fascinating because I, I can't wrap my mind around, you know, like I, I just, I can't justify or, or, uh, you know, there's definitely for me as I, as I am trying to imagine myself be, um, for certain candidates or certain other policies that I think also go against the second amendment, which I'm a huge believer of, uh, that, that causes a severe, uh, dissonance <laughs> in my thinking, you know, it's like, uh, I just can't, I, I can't, I can't figure that out. But so it's fascinating to me because I like to look at people and I even like to talk with people like that to try to understand you know, their viewpoint and where they're coming from and, and why uh, they feel the way they do and also how they're able to sort of, I guess, reconcile sometimes what appears to be juxtaposing positions on uh, policies and particularly where it comes to the Second Amendment. Um, so we, we, but the fact is we know there's gun owners out there that are in that boat. And that's totally cool because what I think I said a couple of days ago is that I, I'd love for the Second Amendment to be this big old tent, you know, that whether you are on the left side or the right side of the aisle, whether you are uh, white, black, brown, yellow, orange, green, purple, you know, whatever race you are, whatever um, gender, you know, or sex or whatever, you know, I don't care. Whoever you are, if you say you're pro-gun, then you're you're my friend at least <laughs> at least in that in that way, you know. Uh, at the gun range, we can be buddy buddy, right? And I, I think that's fantastic because that we will be a much stronger gun lobby uh, the more of us we have inside that tent, I believe. Uh, and, and I know some guys would probably disagree as far as they'd say, well, we have to weed out those that say that some measures of gun control are acceptable, that we can't have them in this, this big tent because they will weaken our argument for strengthening the Second Amendment. And I, I don't buy that because uh, I think we have a better chance at least convincing and winning people over, including those that are inside that tent, if they're already inside the tent and if they're already, you know, 90% of the way there towards protecting and defending the second amendment, then we have a, we, we, we have a greater chance of convincing those people to, 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 to really go all in on the second amendment is kind of the way I look at it. Um, we, we, ha we fight a losing battle trying to convince, those that are on the complete opposite end of the spectrum to see it our way. They're, they're, they're just not right. Mm -hmm. yep. And so they're always go after the middle ground. Yeah. So we, we can be stronger if we can unite together as gun lovers and gun owners, even if we don't completely see eye to eye, um, especially if it's on unrelated political issues. Right. So 
But addressing the slippery slope thing, uh, I, I hear where that guy's coming from saying, you know, hey, stop freaking out. We're not trying to take away your guns. We just want common sense legislation or regulation or whatever it is, right? Well, then we got to talk about what is common sense. And I think that's a, you know, that's really where the discussion has to go is a discussion, a, a logical and intelligent, a reasonable discussion about the things that are being discussed and proposed as to, you know, what are the implications? And the problem that I see a lot of times is so-called common sense. I mean, it, it is the, it is the popular word to, to throw around right now uh, to try to basically sway public opinion to, to believe that this is this is something that's so necessary that we do. It, it, it's so necessary that it's common sense. And I don't necessarily buy, you know, I, in fact, I don't. I don't buy a lot of these arguments for gun control, even so-called reasonable gun control, you know, by simply saying it's common sense and thus we just got to get on board with it because it's only common sense if it actually achieves what they say they're trying to achieve. And so we look at Las Vegas and we say, we have to stop another Las Vegas. And so we got to do this, 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 and this, and it's common sense. But if it doesn't actually address or stop or prevent another Las Vegas, then it's not common sense. And you, you can't say that this is why we have to do this because we have to stop Las Vegas. Yeah. And <laughs> it is common sense to those who are uninformed, right? And the more informed you become, what is and what isn't common sense changes. Right. So, or, or yeah, anyway, so, so let's, let's explain the slippery slope. And again, any given argument, like we could, we could have a reasonable discussion and that's not the purpose of today's episode. Like if you want us to talk about background checks, tell us, we'll talk about background checks or mag capacity limitations or whatever. Those have their own list of, this is why these are bad ideas and that's its own conversation. But at, but at the heart, a part of any of those conversations is the slippery slope argument. And so if we can't properly communicate what the slippery slope thing is and how we actually know that it's true, then it's an undermined, stupid argument, especially to someone who doesn't actually want to take away the Second Amendment. They're just trying to stop bad guys from doing bad things. So here's here's the key. Here's what you got to understand. The, the, the premise on which a lot of these people are operating is wrong. And there's two premises. The first premise is the idea that these proposed laws will stop violent crimes. Okay. And that that's 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 something we're gonna have to we're gonna have to cross that bridge here in a second. The second premise is that these proposed laws are not meant to and shouldn't lead to confiscation. That's also a false premise. And I'm gonna try and explain to the best of my ability today why these two premises are false. One of them we're just going to touch on very briefly because it's very complex. The other one, though, is is kind of the main point of the slippery slope argument. And that is this premise that proposed laws are meant to and should not lead, or excuse me, that proposed laws are not meant to and therefore should not lead to confiscation. But the thing you have to understand is that the intention doesn't matter. Whether or not the, the people proposing like, how about this? If we could accept, right, let's just pretend you and I just for, for a moment, for the rest of today, let's pretend that every single human being proposing any sort of common sense, smart or gun control related legislation actually does not want to take away our guns. Like, can we just pretend that's true for a minute? Sure. Great. Okay. So let's, so we've accepted that premise. We, we're just going to pretend Hillary Clinton doesn't exist for a minute and all the other people out there who we know have told us they want to confiscate our guns. We're going to ignore that and just pretend that everybody out there is just that every single human in America wants to keep the second amendment, does not want to confiscate guns. And they're just trying to stop violent crime under that premise. 
you have to understand that even so, it will still come to that. And 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 you, why you might ask that is, well, it's because if your objective is to stop violent crime and you're operating under the premise that you can pass legislation of any form to stop that violent crime, then when your legislation fails, what will you do next? You will pass more legislation. Because, well, because cognitive dissonance, if you want the psychology term, but ultimately because you're still operating under the false premise that laws will stop the problem, (laughs) right? And until you give up that premise, which will only prove itself through time, basically, until you give up that premise, you'll continue to believe you can pass laws. So let me give an example. Like if people are like, Jacob, get to the point. Let Let me just give an example of how this could play out. Okay. And and I'm still operating under the assumption that everybody in America wants to keep the second amendment. We're just, we're just trying to pass these good smart gun laws. Okay. So let's say we pass a universal background check law, a law that already exists in a dozen or so States, but let's say we can pass it federally. And now, yay, everybody has to pass a background check in order to buy a gun, right? No, even private transactions all the time. That's the law. You have to get a background check. No more on, online loopholes or Craigslist loopholes or whatever loopholes people are calling them these days. Uh, everyone's got to pass a background check. So what will happen when that law passes? Violent crime will continue. <laughs> That's the first thing you have to understand. Uh, because why? Well, criminals either steal guns pass background checks to begin with, or they ignore the law and continue to do things illegally, buy, sell guns without background checks. They already do all that now. They already do it in the states where the law exists. So there's no reason to believe that's going to change. So violent crime will continue. Okay. Uh, I would challenge any listener to give me an example of a, of a mass, you know, high profile killing in the last decade where the shooter obtained their guns through a private transaction <laughs> that the universal background check law would have stopped. Anyway, not the point. So, so it doesn't, it doesn't solve the problem. So what do you do next? Well, you're going to say, well, the law we passed didn't stop violent crime. So we've got to do something. Well, probably what's going on. And by the way, this is what we're hearing in the 12 or so States where they already had this law is that the, the gun grabs are saying, well, obviously this law is just not being enforced. And that's the problem is that the, Law enforcement's not enforcing it, and private citizens aren't going to the due diligence of, of going in and getting background checks done when they're doing private sales. So we need to enforce this law. Well, what is the only conceivable way you can enforce a universal background check law, Riley? It would be to require registration. That's the only possible way to do it. So you're, what you're going to do, you're going to pass a new law. And this law is going to uh, do away with the 1986 FOPA clause that prevents registration and databases from existing. And you're going to say that for now on, every time a background check is run, uh, we're going to log the, the owner uh, with that firearm. And we're going to create this massive database of all the guns and all the owners. And it's going to be great because now law enforcement is going to be able to check any given gun in any given citizen's hand or at a crime scene in the database and find out who last registered slash bought it and verify if a background check was performed when it was transferred to that person currently in possession. It's going to be fantastic. And we're going to be able to enforce this and it's going to be awesome. So then what will happen, Riley? <laughs> well, then the government knows where all of our guns are. Uh, yeah. And, you know, if, if something gets stolen, um, you know, and it's used in a crime, then maybe, you know, I can easily see laws being passed that would uh, put liability on gun owners that where their guns are stolen and used in crimes. Um, I think, would we stop violent crime? No. By now having no, all guns registered? Not at all. And we, of course we know that. I mean, just look at 
places where guns are already registered. California is a great example where handguns are all required to be registered. And I believe now actually that was that right? Did I do I remember correctly that a law recently uh, now extended that to to rifles as well? I can't be sure. What I know is that like D.C. and New York City require all firearms to be registered, and there's three or four states like California and Hawaii, Massachusetts that require some guns to be. I can't remember, you know, the, right. all the details, but but yeah, that they haven't stopped any violent crime by doing that. And there's no reason, even even like if we could wave a magic wand and pretend that that was the law today, it wouldn't have stopped Vegas. It wouldn't have stopped uh, Sutherland, Texas. It wouldn't have stopped any of these things because bad guys will still do what? The same thing, steal guns, pass background checks to begin with, register guns, or just start making their own guns at home with tools from, from Home Depot, right? Like, so so they'll just keep doing all the same things they're doing now. This fact that, that there's a registry would not stop anything, frankly. So if if... If now what do we do? Like if we've passed the background check law and we've passed the registration law and the, the crime keeps happening, what do you do now? You, you still hate all this violent crime is taking place, right? So what would be your next move? I mean, you mentioned Riley, well, maybe then we have to start, you know, requiring gun owners to have insurance or liability. And, you know, that like when, no matter what yeah. you do, you, you're not solving well, the problem. But honestly, though, what what happens is is what, and we see examples of this in states that have already gone down this road, where they start with some sort of minimal gun control law, that it, that it gets extended to requiring, you know, so in other words, universal background checks, like is required in California, and then that gets extended to registering guns, all guns. Right. And then you still have problems. You still have shootings. You still have San Bernardino happen. You still have uh, Rancho Tejama happen, whatever. Right. And so then you go, clearly we have to ban assault, you know, s- certain classes of weapons, assault weapons. Maybe it's uh, semi-automatic handguns. Maybe it's high capacity magazines, which is, of course has already been done in places like California. Uh, you know, so then they actually start coming to a point where you ban entire classes of weapons. And we already know that California has tried to pass laws that removed grandfathering clauses for, you know, large capacity magazines. So what is that, you know, so there, in other words, there's people there that are willing to pass laws that require confiscation where you're required to go in and surrender certain things, whether it's classes of firearms or firearm accessories or components like a magazine. So that's, that's the natural progression. Yeah, it, it has to go there. It has to go there because the entire time you believe that by passing these laws, you'll stop the crime. And so when you find out that passing these laws did not stop the crime, you'll continue to pass more laws because your brain is still operating on a false premise. And it until you until you say, wait a minute, none of these laws will actually stop any of the violence, you will go down a road until you get to confiscation. It's inevitable, despite your best intentions to protect the Second Amendment and just have good common sense gun laws. It it will go there because it has to go there. <laughs> it, if you yeah. operate under the premise that we have to pass laws to stop gun violence, you'll go all the way down that rabbit hole until all the guns are taken away. And until you get to a point where there are no more laws you could possibly pass. Right. Only then would you realize your premise is flawed. Well, and I realize, by the way, that some listening, and they and they might be on that side of, well, I'm okay with this so-called reasonable or common sense gun control uh, that's being discussed about you know certain things, whether it's bump stocks or whatever, right? And so 
like I realize there's some of you may, that may be listening that are going, I, I I'm not going to go there. I'm all, I'm willing to go this far. And so for you personally, you've drew, you've drawn a line um, and you will, you will align yourself with others that support that. But those other people are completely willing to go much far, farther than, than the line that you've drawn. And so I, the, the point I'm trying to get at with, with this uh, line of thought is that I realize there are pro gun people and gun owners that are okay with some gun control. And they'll say, Riley Jacobs, stop freaking out about gun confiscation and all this stuff. Right. But we do freak out because we're not worried about you. We're worried about the others that are willing to go much, much further than that. And the problem is if we give in a little, then that actually psychologically, culturally, socially, that, that will build steam and confidence and actually has the potential of changing public opinion even. And so then as you begin to, so, so then what happens that becomes the new standard, this, whatever the standard is of gun control that has now become the law of the land. And then you see the, a lot of the country move to align to that new standard. And you have a, you basically, you're moving that middle line, you know, where the, you had those that are more moderate on gun control, you move the, the opinion about everything because then people go, well, we were willing to accept this and now we still have another Las Vegas shooting happen or something similar. And so like you're suggesting, Jacob, when you continue to still have mass shootings and, and, and violent crime, then now that public opinion has realigned itself based on this new standard of gun control, we're going to go further. It's inevitable. The only Mm -hmm. reason things haven't gone further, remember where we were 15 years ago, a little more than 15 years, you know, at the sunset of the assault weapons ban that was passed under Clinton, right? Uh, I am so thankful we had that sunset provision because by the time it got to the point where it was time for it to retire, we had a, a Congress and a president that were not in favor of it. And so they allowed it to, to pass away, to, to go by the wayside. And had it not, right, we'd still have that. And I promise you by now we would have gone farther. Mm-hmm. So the fact that we have people in this country that, that fight against these gun control provisions means that we have maintained the state we've maintained i don't know if i'd say status quo but baseline yeah yeah, i mean we haven't seen a major infringement on at least from a national level we have not seen a major infringement on gun law since basically 1994 we see a lot of things locally or on a state level and we're constantly aware of those because whatever we see happens in California or Illinois or Washington, D.C. or New York or Massachusetts or whatever, that, that to me, that's foreshadowing of what they are willing to do. There are those that are willing to do that at a national level. A couple episodes ago on the podcast, I, I shared about, you know, I watched a video clip, uh, Louder, you know, Stephen Crowder, Louder with Crowder, as he was interviewing some pro-gun control activists and asking them about, you know, what, what they want to see accomplished. And I'll tell you, I mean, these people are out there and they're not alone. And some of that stuff is really, it's, it's, I promise you, those of you that are more moderate gun owners, I promise you there are people out there that are willing to go much further than what we're talking about right now. It bump stocks is just the first thing. Yeah. I, I, I love what you said. Go ahead. Uh, are you, 
I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, you no, good? no. I'm, uh, there's something else uh, down the road. That's all I was saying. Your turn. Mm-hmm. I appreciate what you said about the line moving because you're right. I mean, a lot of people might listen to this and say, no, 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 like this is as far as I would go. I would not go as far as you, you know, my slippery slope has an end and, you know, I would, I would stop before we got there. And I I appreciate that you feel that way, frankly, like that's great. But the the point is that the the public sentiment, like take you out of it as an individual, because what you would really do is not relevant. What matters is what America would do. And America, you know, there's there's some current like line, you know, imaginary line of, you know, America's willing to go this far. But if we pass something, if we go that far, the line will move further out. A sentiment will change because the violent crime will continue. And just like, you know, how 10 years ago, the idea of universal background checks or mag capacity, well, 10 years ago, no, but 30 years ago, that would have sounded ridiculous and stupid. Today, it's the normal. Right today, it's we already got there. We already did that here, there, or that, or whatever. And so now, the idea of you know what, what, what else do we have to do to stop these things? Right, these tragic things. More people have loved ones dying, and when you are when you know someone who's just died, it's pretty hard to not wake up and say, uh, "What more can be done?" And so, sentiment will move. It will change, and and the broader public, whether you'd be part of that or not will move with that line. And so it really is a give a mouse a cookie kind of problem. And so when we say slippery slope, it is literally, a, well, literally, no, I guess it is metaphorically a slippery slope and it will continue because the public sentiment will change. The public sentiment will say, well, we already have our baseline. It didn't change anything. So what is next? What is the next thing we have to do? Yeah, I promise that you give in on a few things. Then the next major shooting that takes place, the next cry, and it's it, the cry is already there, right? But it'll just fuel more ammunition to uh, this flawed logic that we got to follow in the same footsteps of Australia, right? Where they had this major ba- gun ban and confiscation, and now magically they haven't had any more mass shootings ever since, right? Which even that is is a false premise in itself, you know, to think that just because we do something, you know, the, the same thing that another country did and that they've somehow have not had a, you know, this non-desired result, uh, that that's going to work the same way for us. And by the way, it was just recently reported that, uh, they were, they were fortunate. It sounds to me, they were lucky in, uh, putting a stop to, they, they were able to stop ahead of time, uh, plans where, uh, an individual or group, uh, was going to, they were planning on, uh, there's some major festival or, or something that takes place on New Year's Eve in, I'm not sure if it was Sydney or Melbourne, but anyway, I think it was Sydney. And uh, so a terrorist plot, a huge terrorist plot was just, uh, they, 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 they managed to put an end to it. Okay. That, and the plan was they were going to shoot up people at this uh, big festival thing on New Year's Eve. That was going to be in Australia, and uh, frankly, I'm glad that they that they caught the guys involved. Um, but uh, you know that that tells me that these guys thought that they had a chance that you know that they might have had the equipment or the ability to acquire the equipment, the guns, in other words, to follow through with that. So just because you know, and we've already talked about Australia and how uh, violent crime is still very much a real issue there even after banning the guns the way they did. Anyway, that's beside the point. Um, that, but that's, I think the point, though, for me there was that 
when the next shooting happens after we've moved that line, then they'll, that, that those calls will become stronger and people will be more willing and ready to accept them by saying, we've got to do what Australia did. Yeah, well put. I, I, I think I guess our point or our our objective here. I think we've made the point. Our objective yeah. is to help you understand that, you know, you may feel or you may know people who feel like, hey, I'm pro Second Amendment, even if I'm pro these other smart gun laws, and I don't necessarily think that's wrong. Frankly, like I don't think those people are anti Second Amendment personally. That for me, I, I definitely still think they're in our tent, and I'm grateful for those people. But I do need those people to understand why uh, those of us who profess the slippery slope argument feel the way we do and, and why we think this is going to lead to confiscation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I had this, I made this comment to someone recently, you know, the other day, um, you know, just why are there Americans that are so worried about mass confiscation of weapons, right? Because there are people still alive today that remember what it was like for people in, uh, in Europe, you know, back, uh, when, uh, Hitler was overtaking Germany and Europe, uh, and the gun confiscation that took place there, uh, the fact that the Jews were disarmed and then of course they were able to be slaughtered. And, you know, that's just one example. I mean, look what happened in China. Uh, Korea, uh, you know, and other, you know, typically there've been communist governments uh, or, or dictator like governments that, that, you know, they see the people as a threat to their power. And we as Americans are very proud of the fact of our, of our heritage, of the founding of our company or company country that we, the people I'd like to think still, even though it doesn't always appear that way, but we, the people are in charge and that we have in our hands, you know, we hold the Trump card that when things get out of hand, in other words, when, when our freedoms and our very lives come to be in jeopardy, we, we have something to say about that and we can back it up that we can't just be shoved on a bunch of train cars and hauled off to concentration camps. That's not going to happen without a fight. I guarantee you of that, which is why there's so much resistance about gun control and it's not going to happen without a fight and for good reason too. And I hope that the points and the arguments that we've made here today, uh, talking about the slippery slope argument on the, on this episode of the podcast, uh, I hope that that is enlightened you or, or, and this is meant for everybody. I'm not trying to, we're not trying to just pick on, those individuals that uh, are pro-gun, but they're a little bit more moderate. This is meant for all of us to be hopefully a little bit more educated as to the why uh, behind you know why this argument is made and why it may have some validity. So, and speaking of which, you want here's a here's a real life example, Jacob. Um, if you watched that video recently uh, from the last episode. Well, it was episode 177A, talking about the Liberal Gun Club. And there's that video there. And at one point, the lady, uh, she says how it's ingrained in our culture. You know, this this uh, 
idea of, of guns and, and self-defense and, uh, you know, the wild, wild West, you know, we settled the West uh, and this great country because of this thing in our psyche that says, you know, we, we have that power and that ability to fight and defend uh, our lives, our families, our homes, et cetera. And, you know, she's like, you know, a lot of European countries don't necessarily have that. Well, that may be true, but the guy interviewing her is from, he's Scottish and he says, well, we had that too in Scotland. And I, I thought it was interesting. He was saying, no, no, that's not necessarily the case. Like you're not alone in that, but he admits in what he says, he says, I grew up with guns in the household, but those guns have been taken away in Scotland. Mm-hmm. Right. So something happened there. And, and this, this slippery slope thing is real because a culture, a people that was also, and still are very proud. Scott, Scots are very proud people. They, that, that something happened and their guns were stripped away. So anyway, any, any last wrap up thoughts, Jacob? I guess I would say, hey, you know, if you guys think we're off base, love to hear from you. Send us an email, podcast okay. at Um We're hopefully we've proven at this point that we are not opposed to to uh, hearing opposing views, and we're we're happy to address those or or uh, be corrected. Yeah, not at all. Uh, so. Next thing here, well, I do need to mention that our episode today is made possible because of Glock eTrainer, which if you haven't seen it, go to GlockEtrainer.com, Glock E as in easy, G-L-O-C-K-E-T-R-A-I-N-E-R, GlockEtrainer.com. There's a, you know, great, you know, you'll see a huge picture, first of all, right in front of your face of what it is and kind of what it does. And this device makes it possible to do a lot of dry fire things with your live Glock pistol that you normally can't do because you're constantly busy racking the slide. And that's the beauty of it. And the the other beauty of it is that it's incredibly reasonably priced. So check out the Glock eTrainer. Go to GlockEtrainer.com. And I know you're going to love it. We've had some a uh, couple of folks that reviewed it, and, and the the feedback has been very positive. It's such a simple device, and I think mostly because it's so reasonably priced, it's really a no brainer. Is it just a another tool to add to your dry fire routine? Well put. And also, today's episode is brought to you by the Cert Training Pistol. Uh, we are huge fans. We will be featuring it, I'm sure, heavily uh, as one of our dry fire tools in tomorrow evening's Guardian Nation Live event. And go pick up a cert training pistol today. I think we still have probably one of the most competitive prices, uh, if not the best price on cert pistols out there, period. So go to our website, look up cert training pistol, pick one up today. Indeed. So now we get to that point where we talk about picks of the week. And to do that, I'm going to actually read this other question we received from Jacob. And he's, he writes in, he says that uh, he's hoping to get our insight or opinion on a good secondary line of defense. I have always carried a pocket knife even before I started carrying concealed almost six years ago. Normally, I carry my pocket knife clipped over my strong side pocket, which is the same side I carry my pistol on. Just recently, I was convinced to start thinking about carrying my knife on the weak side for, for the purpose of this. If I ever was in a situation where the bad guy was either going after my holstered pistol or trying to stop my arm from drawing my holstered pistol, I would not be able to have access to my knife, which I normally had carried on my strong side. By switching to my weak side, I would therefore still have access to my knife, my secondary line of defense, 
if I was in a struggle on my strong side. My question is this. I'm having a difficulty finding a good defensive knife that I can operate or open easily with my weak hand. Do you have any suggestion or opinion on a type of knife that can be used easily with your weak hand? And ideally, I'm looking for one that can be opened in the same motion of drawing from pocket. So I, I don't know if I can answer uh, some of that question in the way that you want me to, Jacob, as far as uh, the opening of that knife and, and something that's easily done with your weak hand. But here's what I will answer this with, and it is with my pick of the week. Actually, it's kind of, I guess, two picks. I was going to feature uh, one of these separately, but maybe I still will. But what I'm carrying concealed in today is a new holster setup from a company called Tac Lab. Uh, and I'll tell you, these guys are fantastic. The owner, uh, super, super good guy, very responsive. <clears throat> and I got hooked up here with what the, he calls it. It's the TAC lab MTR holster or multiple threat response. I think that stands for, uh, and the MTR alone is basically your typical appendix carry holster with uh, spare mag sidecar. You know, some people use that term where you have that spare mag right next to to the gun holster as, as well, typically as one, uh, you know, uh, uh, holster product. But I saw, this caught my attention recently on Facebook and I, I reached out and I contacted uh, TAC Lab and I said, I've got to get my hands on this. And he sent me one. Uh, and this is his MTR holster with an attached knife sheath for a K-Bar TDI knife. Now, the K-Bar TDI knife is a fixed blade knife. This is the, the small one, okay? They have a large one, too. The small one's very appropriate, though, for this purpose, where you're going to try to carry it kind of in that appendix position. Uh, it's got the, the blade's got a little bit of curve. Now, these are very popular amongst law enforcement officers. Uh, I love my K-Bar TDI. I just always, I haven't uh, always carried it on me. Uh, particularly when I was carrying concealed, I've carried it on duty when I'm in uniform, um, but not necessarily concealed. And I saw this little sheath that attaches, it's almost like the sidecar to the sidecar <laughs> of the spare mag. It attaches to the left of the spare mag. And because of the angle of these K-Bar TDI knives, it's very easy to carry comfortably uh, inside the waistband. And with this setup, with this Tac Lab holster setup, this is perfectly mated. And so, Jacob, I would say maybe check out TAC Lab and their MTR holster with K-Bar TDI sheath attached. And I, I'm wearing this today and have been wearing it for about the last week. And it is freaking awesome because you're right in that having a secondary line of defense is important. And secondly, having a, a knife on your weak side is really good as well. Uh, I like I still have one on my strong side. I Frankly, I've that's that's your best option, I think, as far as knives go, is to have uh, knives in multiple places. So you can always access something that way, depending on the situation you're in. Um, and frankly, for weak side carry, I prefer a fixed blade knife, Jacob. So that's my other recommendation is look for a fixed blade option like a K-Bar TDI. Uh, because then you don't have to worry about deploying it. It's just grab and go. Because, yeah, I'm, I'm like you. My weak hand is not as awesome as my right as my strong hand so uh fixed blade i think is really ideal in that situation and it allows always allows fixed blade is always faster than you know a, a flipper or a, a, you know, a knife that you have to open and also too to this point you can still draw this thing with your strong hand if you had to it's and it's very easy to do you're just going to draw it with a re reverse grip so anyway there you go 
that's my pick this week and also kind of my answer to your question, Jacob. And if you need more information, follow it up. Uh, we'll definitely get with you. Yeah. I mean, your ultimate last line of defense always should be you too, right? So ne- never to discount totally. the value of just straight up hand-to-hand combat skills, which we've covered in, in to some degree in yep. past episodes. Yeah. Awesome. What's your pick? The Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. Have you heard of it, Riley? No. What is the Christmas Carol? <laughs> who's, who's this Dickens fella? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I love the Christmas Carol. I just think it's a wonderful story. Uh, there's so many versions. If you're looking for a good movie uh, in our house, the Muppets Christmas Carol is definitely our go-to favorite, but I bet you could find a local theater that's putting on a play, you know, this season. Um, there's so many you know, video versions and TV versions of Christmas Carol. I also have a dramatized uh, reading of the actual book, uh, that BBC did a long time ago that I listened to sometimes. And I just I just think everybody should listen to or watch The Christmas Carol at least once this season. It's just such a wonderful story that reminds us, I think, of you know what, what Christmas is all about. So uh, that and Charlie Brown, you know, Christmas, I, I think you can't go wrong. Mm-hmm. Right on, dude. Good stuff. And yes, Christmas is going to be quickly upon us. Uh, we hope everyone has a safe and enjoyable holiday season. Up next, I think we kind of already talked about it, and that is that we have the Guardian Nation Live event tomorrow evening, 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Please join us if you're able to. Uh, if not, check it out in the archive section of the Guardian Nation members area at concealedcarry.com. I have nothing else, Jacob. Yeah, I'm stoked for tomorrow night as well. That would be my up next. So, hey, for those of you who are members, we love you, we appreciate you, and we will see you on Thursday night live. Totally. So a a reminder to train right, train often, and train safe, which is what we'll be doing tomorrow night. (laughs) So you can fight hard, fight fast, and fight true. Take care. reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.